Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's episode has to begin with a blanket apology for everything that's about to happen. Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans come together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of your favorite movie soundtracks, even if the soundtrack is uh, a bizarre one like this week's episode. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I will be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight is my lovely and belligerent co-host, Libby Cudmore. Libby, how's it going? <laughs> Why did we do this to ourselves? Here's the thing, uh, dear listeners. Uh, sometimes we get good ideas that we think will make for funny episodes and things that might torture the other person. Uh, in this case, it's uh, the soundtrack to 2000's Me, Myself, and Irene, another entry in our Farrelly Brothers and in our Road Trip movie series. Um, we thought it would be whimsical and fun and we could poke a little fun at me for my Steely Dan obsession, and what we got was just a miserable punch bowl filled with garbage juice that somehow Jim Carrey then took a shit in. Yeah, it's real bad, y'all. This is definitely one that we have like threatened each other with for the majority of the show, <laughs> and now we just decided to do it. <laughs> So if you're listening to this, it's on a dare. And please, we want you to stay with us. Don't turn this off. We need you. No, yes. If you want to do your homework before this episode and watch the movie and listen to the soundtrack, first of all, don't do any of that. We value your time too much. Let us talk about it for you. <laughs> yes. Just let it live on in your imagination. Mm. <laughs> but no, this is this is actually kind of a fascinating soundtrack. Um, because it's, it's so 2000 that I feel like it should be buried as a time capsule and then people will dig it up and you'll be able to truly understand everything that was happening in the year 2000. It would be if it weren't such, if it weren't a soundtrack so like completely devoted to like classic rock, like it's, it's also like a soundtrack completely out of its time for when well, it came yes out. Yes and no, because that's what we were doing in the late 90s and early 2000s, we were so obsessed, particularly with the 70s, uh, that we we were taking all of these songs and doing punk covers, ska covers, uh, whatever the hell the covers on this one are. So it's, it's weirdly present in that very specific moment of the late 90s and early 2000s. But also, I think this is the one thing I do know about Steely Dan. They were having kind of a moment in the year 2000, weren't they? Yes. Um, so in, uh, in February, they released Two Against Nature, which brought the band back together for the first time since 1980s Gaucho. Now, uh, Steely Dan's Donald Fagan and the late Walter Becker had been in the studio together uh, since 1980. They... Uh, Walter Becker produced and played on Donald Fagan's 1993 album, Comic Curiad. And in 1994, Fagan returned the favor by producing and playing on Walter Becker's 11 tracks of Whack. Mm. Uh, but this was the first time that they had played as Steely Dan. And they took home Album of the Year, Best Pop Vocal, 
best pop performance by a duo or group and best engineered album. And it's funny because that that single that won the best pop performance was a song called Cousin Dupree, which seemed to be the basis for uh, You, Me, and Dupree. <laughs> and there is a very, very, very famous and very funny letter from the band to Owen Wilson, and Owen Wilson's reply is in the show notes. It's sort of legendary among the Dandem. So what you're saying to me is that Steely Dan led to the downfall of cinema as we know it. I'm afraid so. Because do you know who directed Yumi and Dupree? No. Uh, Joe and Anthony Russo, who made all of the most recent giant Avengers movies for Marvel. (sighs) They went on to be the biggest filmmakers ever and just completely destroy movies as we know it. And ultimately, it's because of Steely Dan. Sorry, not sorry. Eh. Eh. What you gonna do? Yeah, that's with great power comes great responsibility. So, uh, <laughs> it's it's really it really is one of those like butterfly effect things. Like, who would have ever guessed? <laughs> yes, but then this movie came out in August of two thousand. So they were really capitalizing weirdly on. Our newfound appreciation for Steely Dan, I guess, as a society? I, I suppose, but also it, as far as the Farrelly Brothers movies are concerned, it's like kind of in step with everything they've done so far. Because their soundtracks have always been like very idiosyncratic, very um, unusual and in their choices. And with this one, like the idea of having half the album be Steely Dan covers isn't necessarily a bad idea. It's just a weird one. It's a poorly executed one, I think, as as we'll discover. But we'll 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 get to that. We'll get so, there. Yeah. Before we do, uh, let's wrap up some old business from our last episode uh, on true stories, which was one that I was I was very happy with. I enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah, that was a really good one. That left me with a warm feeling in my soul. Mm-hmm. I was riding riding that high for weeks until <laughs> you know this week. But, Until this, which just <laughs> drop kicked our souls. Right in the face, yeah. So the poll for True Stories, what we asked you what the best song from the True Stories soundtrack was. We picked four of them. Uh, the winner was, of course, Wild Wild Life with 53%. It's a great song. Obviously, yeah. Uh, second place was Dream Operator with 21%. That kind of surprised me. But, yeah. you know, it's a good song. I'm not, I'm not mad. Uh, People Like Us was with 16%. And You Monsters... Two two of us voted for City of Dreams, which got ten ten and a half percent. Ah, one other uh, beautiful dreamer out there joined me in in my love of City of Dreams, and I applaud you. Yeah. Oh well, at least there were two of you. At least you weren't the only one. <laughs> That's right. Two against nature, as it were. <laughs> uh, anyway, so look for our next poll, which will come out after this episode, usually on the weekend after. And here's a tip for anybody listening at home. When we post the poll, I will then post every song underneath it so you can listen to those songs and then choose. Yes. If you don't know already or need a refresher course, please feel free to hop back in. That's right. Take a listen and and go from there. But yeah, so me, myself, and Irene, Libby, um, would you like to start us off tonight? Well, me, myself, and Irene is, again, another film from Oscar winner Peter Farrelly, and starring, among others, is two-time Oscar winner Renee Zellweger, last seen in our Down With Love podcast. It also stars Jim Carrey, because we were still doing that in the year 2000. Um, I really feel like this was, like, 
this was meant to be like the last Jim Carrey movie. Something about the way he performs in this movie, like he was putting everything into it because if he felt like this was going to be the last one, the last hurrah. Uh, unfortunately, it was not. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> he goes. He goes for broke, and man, he broke it. Oh yes, and you can tell he's like trying to be like. He's like in a weird way trying for an Oscar. Like he's trying really, really hard. Yeah, they don't give out comedy Oscars, unfortunately. No. So as we talk about uh, Steely Dan, it should be noted that the opening of this film, in which Jim Carrey, uh, his mild-mannered Charles, who's a state trooper, uh, finds that his wife has been cheating on him with a black man uh, when her triplets are black. And this is... The plot of Steely Dan's Haitian divorce from Ooh. the royal scam. Wow. That is, that's the the whole plot of Haitian divorce is this woman, after she gets married, she flees to Haiti uh, because at, at that time in the, the 70s, you could get a quickie divorce down there. Huh. And she has an affair with a man down there and comes back and gives birth to a black child. So everybody knows she had this affair. Yikes. So that said, the song Haitian Divorce is nowhere on the soundtrack, which seems on one hand like a good move because that would be too ham-fisted. On the other hand, it's like a missed opportunity. Yeah, really. It's it's such a specific poll that you'd you'd think they would have done that. (laughs) Yes. But after she leaves him, he suppresses his rage, uh, which manifests itself as Hank, who's a total piece of shit. And there's something involving, like, he has to transport Renee Zellweger and her mob boss boyfriend is, like, after her. And the FBI is involved somehow. And anyway, it's it's an absolute shit show of a movie. And he goes back and forth between Mild Manor Charles and Douchebag Hank. And it's just, it's it's a mess. It's a mess of a film that makes no sense. Yeah, it's it's really, like... So after the Fairleys hit it big with uh, There's Something About Mary, I think they got their uh, their heads got a little bit too big and they said, we can do anything we want. And this is that anything they want. And yeah, it's, like, it's also a completely inaccurate portrayal of schizophrenia. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Like, I wouldn't like, expect anything less from these guys. Yes, but it's it's embarrassing in that way when you look back on it. Like, this is how people were allowed to make movies back then. And and especially when you consider the Fairleys, who have like historically been filmmakers who will go out of their way to include, um, you know, people with with uh, birth defects or you know neuroatypical people in their films, just because you know their friends or family or they just they love these people. But this is not one of those films. No, it's also low key racist in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's pretty terrible. Uh, one of his sons, as a grown up though, is played by Anthony Anderson. Yeah, I. The the real tough thing about this film is like he is like this quote unquote step I guess stepfather of these three uh, African American men and they all love him and he's like the best father in the world and I couldn't get it out of my head that like yeah all cops are bastards except for this one he seems like a pretty good dad <laughs> I didn't know no, how to feel he's... about that <laughs> well he's fictional so I guess we're gonna like. Let it slide, I guess. I was thinking that uh, when I was watching the Street Fighter 2 anime that I found on Tubi. Ooh. It's like, all cops are bastards except Chun-Li. 
Yep. Yeah, I forgot she was a cop. That's right. Yeah. Oh, man. So, okay, so we found, well, but he's, Hank is a bastard. Hank is a bastard, but Hank is so, not the father of those kids. No. But um, I do cringe at the thought of, like, the Farrelly's, who are probably the whitest people who ever existed, like, writing, quote, unquote, like, black dialogue. Yeah. For Anthony Anderson. And I just, like, I cringe at that. That makes me so uncomfortable thinking about that. Yeah, and it's real obvious too. Like, just like throw, just throw the word "motherfucker" in there as many times as you can. It's that's that's all we need to do. Yeah, and it's it was... it's a lot. It, I'm sure I'm sure it was funny in 2000. You know. Yeah, and Anthony Anderson, of course, is very well respected now. And for my listeners over on the Shattered Shield, that is of course Antoine Mitchell from season four, our big bad. Oh yeah. So he's great on the Shield. If you ever get around to watching it, but you're not gonna do. No, you no. should. You want to talk about all cops are bastards? <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet so. Oh yes, but that show knows it. <laughs> I mean, that's um, that's part of the plot, right? Yeah, of course. So, so um, but... should I do billboarding school real quick? Because I feel like we're we're just about to go off the rails with this show. Yeah, yes. It's very. I have very little to say about the the charts for this film and the the soundtrack that goes with it. Um. So yeah, billboarding school, folks. The movie, the movie itself, it made $150 million on a $50 million budget. So this was a popular movie. It made money. I saw it in theaters. I did too. My dad took me to see it in theaters. Oh, I think my step... No, I saw it on a date. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah. That's awkward. Oh, boy. But the album uh, debuted on the Billboard 200 July 8th, 2000. At number 181, uh, the top album that week was Eminem's Marshall Mathers LP, because <laughs> of course it was. And the top soundtrack was Mission Impossible 2 at number 15, which I took to uh, my local used bookstore today to try and sell with a big collection of just random crap. And it was the only item they returned to me and said, we cannot sell this. <laughs> so, what is on the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack? It's like... Foo Fighters and Queen and Limp Biscuit and Metallica. That's basically it. Our friends, the Foo Fighters. Uh-huh. That We will talk about them shortly. Yes, we will. Um, but yeah, me, myself, and Irene hung around the bottom of the charts for like four weeks, and then it fell off. The, the week it fell off, the number one album in America was Now That's What I Call Music Volume 4. Yikes. <laughs> and the top soundtrack at number eight was the soundtrack to Nutty Professor 2. Whew, that's embarrassing. Yeah. That's embarrassing. For like a film like that to have a, a hotter soundtrack than this? Uh, okay. I know in this this soundtrack, as we'll talk about, like in theory, there was a lot on it that worked. It has the Foo Fighters, uh, our friends, the Push Stars and Ivy return. Uh, we're doing the, the modern covers of 70 songs. It had all the elements. Yeah. And, and what we're going to find out, this is basically like, an OST party greatest hits compilation because like a lot of bands we've covered have are showing up on this soundtrack. Mm -hmm. so. so I think what we're gonna do, we're just gonna take you through the soundtrack because the plot, such as it is, really doesn't matter. So we're gonna give you the songs one by one, tell you what's going on in each of the scenes, and then uh, we'll just go from there. How about that? Yes. So come with us. Hang in there. We're gonna get through this together. We're gonna have some laughs. And I'm going to teach you about Steely Dan. So the first song on our soundtrack is, as far as I'm aware of, the the big like hit hit single off the album. 
which is Foo Fighters Breakout. So let's take a listen to that real quick. I've heard if I had heard this song on the radio, I would like it more than if I had seen the video because the video is essentially Dave Grohl acting out me, myself, and Irene while watching me, myself, and Irene at the drive in and featuring cameos from several of the actors. Yeah, it's it's honestly more economical than just watching the film, so I recommend just doing the watching the video. <laughs> but the video made me like angry because I kind of liked the song. But it just, I think maybe because I had just watched the movie, mm-hmm. it it was like, why are you making me relive this? Yeah. And it's a, it's a decent enough song, but it's so drenched in that like early 2000s look, especially like where he's wearing the black shirt with the white tie. Like, dude, you were in Nirvana. <laughs> yeah, you do we- not dress like you go to Hot Topic. You are an adult man. For a hot second, Dave Grohl thought he was in the hives. I don't know, but it's like you know what you. Uh, it made me very. It made me very angry. It made me irrationally angry. Um, this song to me sounds like every other Foo Fighter song that came out at that time. Yeah, I mean, I was a real big Foo Fighters fan when this came out. Like, like when that album "Nothing Left to Lose" came out. That's when that was in when I was like peak Foo Fighters phase, which you know. 13, 14 years old kind of makes sense. And it's it's an okay song, but it it's the when the video came out, like I remember watching it and going, that's what you guys did with this song? Even yeah. then thinking like this is lame and stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's a better song than the video like would make it out to be. Mm-hmm. It because it looks so cheesy and stupid. And I can't help but think, you know, when people say like, oh, what Kurt? What could Kurt Cobain have done if he lived? He would have done this shit. Probably, or, or he would have. I mean, he would have honestly been like the Foo Fighters' biggest fan, and that would have broken everybody's hearts. Yeah, and I like the Foo Fighters just fine. I think Dave Grohl is a very, very cool person, but this is like he would have been doing soundtrack shit. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of soundtrack shit, uh, this was the same year I think that they did um, a song for the soundtrack to that movie Orange County. Do you remember that? Vaguely. That was when I was in my anti-Jack Black phase, so I oh. never saw it. But the video for that is the same thing. Dave Grohl is in like an acting class, and he's just acting out scenes from the fucking movie. Oh my god, Dave Grohl, <laughs> stop it, please. Like, imitation please. Is, is, is not funny. Just stop doing it. So, and here's the other thing that I don't get about this soundtrack while we're here. Fucking commit to a bit. Either do all Steely Dan songs or no Steely Dan songs. Right, because the, the the soundtrack's whole hook is that it's Steely Dan covers, and you open with like a song that is on the radio at the time and conspicuously not a Steely Dan cover. Yeah, and I just feel like they should have just like gone all in. And there's lots of great songs, a lot of great Steely Dan songs that the Foo Fighters could have covered. I think it would have been great to hear them do... Uh, I bet they would have killed on Haitian Divorce. Um, I think they could have done a pretty kicking cover of uh, Home at Last off Asia. You know, the sky's the limit. You've got the Foo Fighters. They're clearly talented. So let's um, 
Let's put them to better use. You know what movie this would have been great in? What's up? Godzilla. Ooh, yeah. Like, imagine them playing this, but, like, with Godzilla stopping around in the background. Yeah, it, it would have been fun. Like, the, yeah. the Foo Fighters song on the Godzilla soundtrack is, like, a sad song about a plane crash. Yeah. It would, and that's not fun. This would have yeah. been great. You're right. So, but this is this is what the Foo Fighters were doing. They did the X-Files soundtrack, you know. yeah. And they were I mean, soundtrack guys. At the same time, like this was at the era, I think they did a cover of uh, Jerry Rafferty's Baker Street, which is fantastic. So I know they can do like that style of music. Yeah, I think they could have had a lot of fun. Or actually, I bet they would have done really good with Razor Boy, which we get a real mundane cover of later mm-hmm. on. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, there's there's a lot more that they could have done. And I feel like they really should have committed to the bit. So speaking of uh, mundane covers... And bands we've talked about before. Libby, do you want to take the second one? Oh, <laughs> I've never been so angry at anything in my entire life. So. <laughs> do it. Okay. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Up next, we have Smash Mouth covering Do It Again from uh, Can't Buy a Thrill. Let's go to a fucking clip. As they drag you by your feet But the hangman isn't hanging And they put you on the street You go back, Jack, do it again This has to be a crime, right? Oh, yeah. Like, this has to be against some sort of convention. You, you, yeah, you've got to be able to, like, try Steve Smashmouth for this, right? Yes, this is everything that was bad in 2000s. Again, we're doing the 70s cover and we're bringing in Smash Mouth. And because it's 2000 and this is what we do and we're just off, um, you know, they're the failure that was All-Star in 1999's Mystery Men. Mm-hmm. And we're still, we're trying to bring back Smash Mouth in 2000 and it's going to be another year before we have uh, Shrek and rat race yeah like this is like where we said foo fighters could have been a soundtrack band this is smash mouth trying to be a soundtrack band i know and this song for starters it i will i will give the arrangement credit because it's got some real sizzle it does it's it honestly doesn't sound that bad it's just the the arrangement is great and then steve smash mouth comes in and then the other guy comes in after him oh god i was not prepared I was not mentally and emotionally prepared yeah. for the second verse being white guy rapped. Oh, God, yeah. No, that's that's beyond the pale. Like, who was doing that rap? Who was that? I I honestly don't know. I I want to say it was Greg Camp, who was, like, was their guitarist. I bet, okay. I don't know for sure, just because that's the only other member of Smash Mouth I know off the top of my head. Okay, because it was bad, and I was not, like I said, I, I wasn't prepared for it, um, because the other thing is, like, Steve Smashmouth sounds so desperately out of breath. Yeah, yeah, he does. Oh, Just my like God. He, like karaoke, you ever done karaoke where you realize you are woefully unprepared? Mm-hmm. That's what he sounds like. It's like, oh, motherfucker. Yeah. Shit. <sighs> but you, but you know, this... To me, this sounds like what the band, not this specifically, because I know you're going to laugh at me for this, but this is what the band should have been doing around this time. Like, this is what Astro Lounge should have been. It's just an album of, like, 70s covers done in a crappy 90s lounge style. 
Yeah. But instead, yeah. we got fucking All Star. Yeah. Like, at least that would have been different. Consistent because, and yeah, interesting. Yeah. It really, it it's one of the few covers on this album that tries to do something vastly different with the song rather than a straight interpretation. It fails miserably. Yeah. I mean, it it is. It's bad. They they should be tried. They should be tried in international court. But take them to the Hague. They make a lot of baffling choices, including um, the outro includes um, some of Ricky Don't Lose That Number. I noticed that. Yeah. And supposedly they use Josie in there, but I couldn't hear it. Um, They also break the third verse into two verses. Huh. He breaks it at... um, then you find you're back in Vegas with a handle in your hand. Then he goes into the, the chorus and then comes back with your black cards can make you money. Uh, so you hide them when you're able. Right. That's all one verse. And he inexplicably breaks it in two. Why? I, I don't know. But. You know what this reminds me of the most? What? This is what Weezer is doing now. Ah, oh, motherfucker. Like, Smash Mouth bro- like, tr- blazed that trail for Weezer. They definitely were blazing something. Yeah. Because I feel, oh, I feel like if, if Smash Mouth hadn't done this in 2000, Weezer would have done this, like, a year ago. Okay, Weezer has to be stopped. <laughs> but, like, this song makes me feel like every possible choice this universe could have made turned out to be the wrong one. And that's the only reason I can I can give as to why this exists. Yeah, it feels to me like you're wandering around a hall of mirrors. Mm-hmm. And every turn you make is the wrong one. It's like if they decided to turn Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas into like an ABC sitcom. This is the theme song for that show. <laughs> Obviously, Smash Mouth has won this round. But never fear. Because in the year 2000, Tom Waits was busy writing Blood Money. Are you fucking kidding me? We're (laughs) back around to that. (laughs) Tom Waits is the hero we need. (laughs) So that is our our Tom Waits, Steve Smashmouth. They continue to fight. Tom Waits sort of was in, in a little bit of hiding writing Blood Money and Alice. But he would rise again. You know, with all the weird, like, indie rocker bullshit that's on this soundtrack, how is there not a Tom Waits song in this mix? I don't know. That seems like a, an obvious slam dunk, and it would have been, like, the linchpin for our entire Smash Mouth versus Tom Waits episode. I know. I know. Maybe the, the Farrelly's just don't seem like they'd be into Tom Waits. That seems a little too weird for them. They've got a pretty, they've got pretty standard Gen X sensibilities. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. Out there, every Gen X dude I've ever known. Mm. All right, you're up. So the next song on the soundtrack is from Third Eye Blind. It was, I guess, the second single from the album because this was on the radio at the time. It's uh, the song Deep Inside of You. Uh, Let's take a listen. I don't listen because I live to be inside of you slide up her dress sounds in darkness i'm so alive i'm deep in 
it's weird that you remember these being on the radio because I have no recollection of any of it. This is definitely like the last time I ever heard Third Eye Blind on the radio. Yes. And with this song, I have to question, is this the soundtrack to an R-rated movie or a middle school dance? Yes. It is. Wow. <laughs> it's a f- it's okay. I'm not like a fan of it as far as Third Eye Blind songs go. Yeah, Never Let You Go is their best. Yes, absolutely. And so. it was off their se- that same album even. Mm-hmm. Which like, you know, uh Semi-Charmed Life is 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 a good uh 90s pop song, but man, Never Let You Go is the best. That's a that's solid even if it has the rap breakdown at the end and you're just like, "Don't." Eh, it's not <laughs> it's don't. not that bad. It could but have been you're worse. Just- like don't i um, here's here's what kind of baffles me about this soundtrack and i think it's it's because of when it was made mm-hmm. um you know we're six years after dumb and dumber we're four years after there's something about mary and music had evolved de-evolved one might argue uh since then and did they just have worse label mates to work with I mean, we're we're going from the Lemonheads and Jonathan Richman mm-hmm. and the Dan Halls and the Propellerheads into Third Eye Blind and Smash Mouth because that was what was on the radio at the time. Yeah, well, you know what it is. It's the fact that this movie had money to work with so they could afford these artists. Yes, but they're worse artists. <laughs> I mean... you're not wrong it's just uh, whoever put the soundtrack together knew they had money and knew that like okay we can get the latest uh single from uh foo fighters yes but it just and they just did it it, i don't know it speaks to how music was degrading like how pop music was sort of starting to fall apart in in the late 90s early 2000s Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that we've gone from having the fucking Lemonheads on a soundtrack, the Dandy Warhols, my God. And mm-hmm. that you could have an entire soundtrack, like, weirdly scored by Jonathan Richmond, which is a really weird choice, but one that yeah, oddly fit into the landscape of 1996, where we were still taking a lot of dares with the kind of music we were listening to, as, as we've discussed you know all throughout the history of this podcast you know we're we're doing swing and ska and sort of bollywood inflected uh you know we're back to like swing in 60s london the lounge revival like there's so much weird shit going on but by 2000 it's all sort of mainstreamed it's all the same yeah, kind and- of bands and even like the late '90s sort of pop rock boom with with artists like Third Eye Blind, like you know Matchbox Twenty and the Wallflowers and that whole group of artists, it kind of just melts away into this really generic sound that's not pop and it's not rock. It's just kind of radio yeah. filler. I don't even know and what else sawdust. to call it. And it, it is, and this is definitely a part of that. Deep inside of you is not that memorable to me. Like, until we did this album, this episode, I completely forgot about this yeah. song. But now I remember, yeah, this was definitely no. on the radio. I remember I'm sure it. I heard it, but it never stuck. And no, same with yeah. Breakout. Like, Breakout sounds like 
a revamp of Everlong, like a simulacrum of Everlong. A little bit of angrier, yeah. but yeah, basically. It's that foo it's that foo fighter <laughs> sound. It's like they're like, yeah. write us a foo fighter song. Don't write us, you know, something cool like Learn to Fly. Just write us yeah, exactly. a foo fighter song. It has to sound uh, like the foo fighter. Do fighters. the thing again. Do the thing yeah. again, you know? So, and that's why I say this album is like a time capsule because it really, as, as we're going to see in a couple later tracks, it covers the whole gamut of milk toast music that we were listening to at the time. It, it, it really is like uh, between this in the year 2000 and the, then you look at like Jan Silent Bob Strike Back in 2001. It's definitely a dividing line between like pop rock from the 90s and then just whatever was left over in the 2000s because mm -hmm. it, it something seems off like between one and the other mm -hmm. they're not that far apart but they're very different yes indeed i think we said all that to say yeah this song's okay <laughs> where it okay where it we didn't talk about this earlier where it fits in the movie yeah we didn't talk about breakout or do it again as they appear in no. the movies because they kind of don't <laughs> matter but this one <laughs> This one matters because I took a note on this. So this song appears in the scene. It's near the end. It's where Charlie finally confesses his love for Irene. And they kiss, and it's wonderful and great. And this song's playing in the background. And he makes a comment that his ass is really sore because in the scene immediately before this, uh, uh, we find out that he's shoved a dildo up his ass. Now... <laughs> And as as he says the line, my ass is still really sore, Stephen Jenkins on the soundtrack goes, it goes deep inside of oh. me. Because the Farrelly's are comedians. Oh. And this is a comedy movie with jokes in it. The sad thing is... I hate everything. That scene where he like holds up the dildo and is like, oh, is it not good enough for you? And she's like, you use that on you? That is the only thing I remember from this film. From when I saw it the first time. You know what? Me too. <laughs> what I, don't, say I, I think because when I saw it, I had never seen one of those before. Mm, that's fair. Yeah, like I had just never seen like a giant rubber dildo. I think at the time I thought, that's a joke. There's no way that's real. Yeah, like, <laughs> and also he buys it. Hank buys it earlier uh, at what I believe is a convenience store, because he stops for provisions and he buys, like, a bottle of rum and a dildo. And I'm just trying to think, mm. can you do that in Rhode Island? Can Maybe. Like, are there liquor stores slash sex stores? I don't, that seems like a poor decision. That seems like a lot of decisions. So is someone from Rhode Island, please write in and let us know if this is a thing. If you can go into any convenience store and buy uh, adult novelty items and liquor. Or if you can go into any adult novelty store, yeah, and buy just a bottle of booze. So, Either or. Yes, please let us know. At OST Party on Twitter. Yeah, so that's, that's Third Eye Blind, everybody. Let's We're move sorry. on. Good Lord. So our next song um, brings back our friends The Offspring with Total Immortal. Let's go to a clip and bang our heads. Let's do that. Sometimes it's where I can hear, but turn it on the voice, but it's why? 
mistaken, the last time we had an Offspring song was also a Jim Carrey movie. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it was <laughs> our very first episode on Batman Forever. Yes. I will. I will go ahead and say I think this is a better song. I like this song a lot. I. I, I mean, too. I love the Offspring. I think this song kind of slams. Yeah, I'm not like I don't know or care about AFI, which is apparently a cover of. But yeah, I like this song. So, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah. I, the thing with the Offspring is every Offspring song, whether it's a cover, whether it's an original, whatever it is, always rules. Mm-hmm. And because it doesn't really sound like anything but the Offspring. And you're just like, yeah, yeah this Offspring song is good. You don't have to know what it's called. They have a new album out. It's prob- it probably rules. Uh, it's all right. It, they, ha- they have a song on there that's it's basically a song about the, the pandemic and the lockdown and how terrible everything's been for the last year and a half. Oh, but it's not like Van Morrison's where it's like. The lockdown is bullshit, and the Jews control the media, and the snake people are making you wear a mask so that everyone no, can no, get no. AIDS. No, this is more a song that's like, hey, man, the last year sucked, didn't it? Yeah, everything's bad right now. Okay, because Van it's, Morrison it's a, sucks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Van Morrison's the worst now. So <laughs> somebody proposed blending him with Morrissey and just got like, like all terrible people Van, Van Morrissey. Morrissey. That's the next Weezer album. <laughs> oh, God, don't. Don't give Rivers Cuomo any ideas. Um, of our Jim Carrey movie Offspring songs, we're going to go with Total Immortal. Absolutely. Keep it rocking, guys. Uh, yeah, we really don't have a lot to say about it. It ribs. That's about it. Yeah. Now, where does it show up in the movie? This song appears in the film over the end credits after Do It Again, which we forgot to mention earlier. Yeah. But also, I, I feel like I have to mention this because I actually watched to the end of the credits. The very last like thing in the credits says, this movie is dedicated to the memory of Gene Siskel. That's depressing. Gene Siskel the, didn't deserve that. It's the saddest thing I've ever heard oh my God. this week. Uh, and it's Sunday. So, but I, it made me look up like, okay, well then what did Roger Ebert have dedicated to him? And it was like an Errol Morris documentary. Oh. I, I would take a thousand of those over... Uh, Gene Siskel having this dedicated to him. That had to be you know? like trolling him, right? Maybe. It had to be. Because the Farrelly brothers be are dicks. And like, there's no way they would have thought like, man, Gene would have loved this. <laughs> he would have loved this movie where Jim Carrey drowns a little girl for laughing at him. That sucks. Let's move on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah, number five, next song on the soundtrack is the, the movie's like unofficial love theme, which, can you believe it? This movie has a love theme. It's uh, The World Ain't Slowing Down by Ellis Paul. Let's go to a clip. The passenger's restless, she said, baby, you'll never change. You gotta get gone, you gotta get to hate this i do um but 2000 era libby like deeply feels this sort of soft boy acoustic gentleness like deep in her soul she was a very tender and very delicate flower mm-hmm. early 2000s libby so honestly i actually really like this i one. really like it and like mean 2021 libby like wants to reach back and slap her but mm-hmm. I just, I can't bring myself to. It's really pretty, and it's just, it reminds me of uh, David Gray. 
in a lot mm. of ways. Yeah. Like, and that's another thing like that we were starting to see again as we talk about like the landscape of of the two thousand music scene, uh, that rise in the sort of gentle singer songwriters. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a scene that kind of brought us you know David Gray and it brought us this, but it also brought us like uh, John Mayer and Jason Mraz. <sighs> So, you, you know. Oh, God. There's... Who was the one that wrote that? Like, uh, you're beautiful. Who's that motherfucker? James Blunt. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. So, ain't nobody free of sin here. but Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's kind of a weird era because, yeah, on one hand, you have this, like, hyper machismo of Smash Mouth. And then on the other hand, you've got these, like, sweater-wearing boys with acoustic guitars. And also, meanwhile, like, new metal is the most popular thing in America. Yeah, so there's all these weird modes of masculinity going on. And I feel like that... <laughs> and they're all terrible. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but isn't that the core of this film? Ultimately, this film is fighting between two modes of masculinity. You've got guys like The Offspring and Smash Mouth fighting against guys like Ellis Paul and um, Pete Yorn. Like, very meanwhile, gentle versus very aggressive. Yeah, it's it's very Charlie versus Hank. And you know, neither one of them is is ideal, but you you put it all together and hopefully you have something that resembles uh, a real human being. Yeah. Um in 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 Charlie's case, I guess that's true, but in the in the soundtrack's case, no, not at all. <laughs> that's not how this works. <laughs> but it's it's weird that it's like these this sort of subtle possibly accidental theme. Yeah, cuz they use it three or four times in the film yeah but i'm just saying like those two oh, oh, the sorry. two modes of masculinity fighting each other yeah absolutely it, it, i mean it see it's I don't good think they, in, i don't think they intended it but yeah it works it really makes the thing gel so uh it's it's understated but see okay so maybe this is good maybe if we're able to look at it through this this we're, we're, critical context yeah we're, we're getting somewhere now hmm. and the movie uses this song basically as like traveling montage music you know, Charlie's taking Irene up to upstate New York and then back again, the song plays. And then every time, like, there's a scene where the two of them start to have feelings for each other, like, the score will bring the song back a little bit. And it actually, like, works it into the film. Like, this is 100% the love theme of the film. Like, we're not joking about that. <laughs> it's the too much of a good thing. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the Farrelly's just fall in love with a song and just use it constantly. Yeah, and and artists too, because um, Ellis Paul will will show back up on the Shallow Hal soundtrack, which we're never gonna touch. Yeah, that's never gonna happen. Yeah, but he's but he's there, and yeah, I like it too. It's just I thought I thought it was a Rod Stewart song for the longest time because I was young and stupid, and now I now I know it now I know it's not. But it still just sounds like something Rod Stewart would say. It does kind of sound like something Rod Stewart would sing. So, do you ever yeah. think that, you know, because now the cool thing when you're a thousand years old, like Rod Stewart, is to do like a cover of the Great American Songbook? Do you think that, you know, when we're old, it's like Steve Smashmouth is going to do like the Great American Songbook? Like, you think that'll still be a thing? Or will he be doing covers of like this stuff? I mean,. That's a good question. I think it's yeah, I think it's going to be covers of this stuff. Like we're, we're going to have like, you know, the good old days round two 
And these guys are going to be super nostalgic for like the late 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, there's it's going to be some TikTok star, you know, 30 years from now covering like Pretty Fly for a white guy. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know I was thinking about that in relation to um I think it's it's one of the next songs coming up here in a bit, but it's like like 10, 15 years from now, we're going to get some filmmaker like James Gunn who's going to do something like Guardians of the Galaxy where they're going to like reclaim some cheesy, crappy, you know, pop song from the 90s like that he did with the 70s, you know, like the fucking Pina Colada song or whatever. And it's going to be like Hootie and the Blowfish, like only one. No, it'll be like Sugar Ray. Oh, it's, oh yeah, it's going to be Fly. And, but, and then Fly is going to suddenly become like a super ironic like hit again. And everyone's gonna go lose their fucking minds over it. We're back to the the irony, and that's that's where we are in this soundtrack. It's all about the irony. Like, look at us—we're punk bands covering songs from the seventies, like songs our parents listened to. Only now we're the parents. Our yeah. dumb children are gonna discover our our Smash Mouth CDs. This is—we have to stop Steve Smash Mouth. Is what I'm saying. This is like. Skynet needs to like someone needs to come back from the future and be like you have to stop Steve Smashmouth <laughs> because ten years from now he's going to destroy the world. You have to destroy your Smashmouth CDs now. So you know I'm picturing that movie and it's like the Terminator going around L.A. and just killing everybody with like spi- like frosted tips. <laughs> like the first person he kills is Guy Fieri. He's like, oh, I guess that wasn't Steve Smashmouth. <laughs> it's hard to tell them apart. So it's except that fun. Guy Fieri is awesome and yeah. protected workers on the front lines and fed them. And Steve Smashmouth gave literally the entire Midwest COVID. Uh, so yeah, the next song on our, on our soundtrack is once again, a Steely Dan cover. So Libby, take it away. Yes. This is Wilco covering any major dude. will tell you, which is from pretzel logic. It's track two. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's go to a clip. Have you ever seen us box tears? Well, look at mine. The people on the street have all seen better times. Any major deal without the heart surely will tell you, my friend. I don't get Wilco. And that might be because I'm not a stoner dad. I feel like Wilco is Weezer for dads. Yeah, it's that's, like, I make extra tracks. It's like kind of earnest. And it's just one of those bands that I do not understand. It's it's essentially like Steely Dan for Gen Xers, I guess. Like it's just a dad band. I I feel like they were one of those bands I was always told I was supposed to like in college, but I just never could. Yeah, I never got there. And like my feeling on Wilco now is like you know there's easier ways to listen to elevator music. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's but, okay. It's a band, and this. What what separates this cover, I think, from a lot of the other ones is this is a completely straight cover of Any Major Dude. It does nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, was it Jeff Tweedy? Is that the lead singer, Wilco? I, you, you could make up any name and I would say yes. Okay, Jeff Tweedy sounds like a fake name, but let me double check that. But yeah, this this song just sounds like too, like too sleepy and like milk toast to be anything but a straight cover. Like, I don't think they decided to do take that song and make it sound like it was on Quaaludes is I don't know. And I, I guess I appreciate that because like, well, what we saw with 
uh, do it again. It was so absurd. But I think you can have a little fun with that, which we're going to see in a couple a couple of the other covers. This was just, it was a bar band playing right. Steely Dan. And this is what my dad's band like would sound like if they covered Steely Dan. And I love my dad, and my dad is great, but the, the Steely Dan has a certain essence to it that honestly cannot be replicated. I don't, I can't think of a good Steely Dan cover that I've ever heard outside of Sneaker doing Don't Let Me In, which Steely Dan never formally recorded. Okay. Like, I really, I just can't think of one where I'm like, that's a good Steely Dan cover. There's, there's an essence to Steely Dan that just no one else can can match it although there there's one artist who comes close and i think you're gonna be surprised when i point out who it is <laughs> okay um but it, this one it just it sounds fine but it sounds like a bar band yeah and that's that's also that's just gonna be what a lot of the rest of this album is like it's it's okay i don't have anything special to say about a lot of it it's okay it's fine so See, I have a lot of thoughts. Don't worry, well, I'll you, carry know, you. you. I'll do. carry the day. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's like okay, I get it. It's fine. Um, it's it's not baffling and weird like Smash Mouth to do it again. So I don't know how how to make fun of it for 30 minutes. But but we'll get there. That's what I think is so disappointing because we we came to this trusting the Farrellys. We knew we were going to hate the movie. Yeah. But the last two Farrelly Brothers soundtracks have been such incredible delights they have just been a fountain of good things and we have found so many songs that we love uh to the point if you go back to our our 50th episode they show up twice in mine alone yeah yeah and and so for this to phone it in the way it does is such a disappointment so it it really is. It's it's we kind of expected better, but you know what do you? That's what you get for Oscar winner Peter Farrelly. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> uh, I don't want to say it's them losing their touch, but yeah, guys sold out, is. man. Sold out. There you go. So why don't you take this next one? Because it's your yeah, band. All right, it's your girl. Oh yeah, yeah. So welcome back to the show, Ivy, with a cover of Steely Dan's "Only a Fool Would Say That." Let's go to it. Now this one, I just, I want to keep note of what albums these are all off of because I, I'm building to something here. This one is off uh, Can't Buy a Thrill. Okay. So, I um, you know I love Ivy. This is that's one oh, of the yeah. things like you have brought to this partnership is like now I really <laughs> love Ivy. And I'm constantly like surprised when they show up again. Like I always I always thought like oh we're going to get the one Ivy song and never again, but they keep showing up. Yeah, this is the fourth time we've had them on the show. So this one appears in the film um immediately before the scene where Hank and Irene have sex where so there's a there's a there's a motel sequence where he goes outside to get a Coca-Cola from the machine, puts in money. A guy is out there like making fun of him because he keeps putting money in it. 
and then he shows back up in the hotel room with Cokes as Charlie, but it's actually Hank trying to get Irene into bed. And the song is playing in the background. So, uh, it's disgusting. It's so, just like, like, oh, cool, now sexual assault. It's not the first time he's committed sexual assault. Um, oh, no, and, um, and it won't be the last. Alas. Because that was what passed for funny in the year 2000. Um, yep. yep. Now, yep. this one, um, it's kind of a stale cover. Um, I love the the way that they orchestrate it. It's like it's got a real nice breeziness to it, but it's got like that really deeply distorted guitar that like weighs it down, but in a wonderful way. Like it just gives it this like darkness. But mm-hmm. I, uh, her vocals aren't selling it for me. See, I kind of feel like this is what Smash Mouth should have been yeah. doing. Like I, I like this this mode of like that like, kind of loungy sound a lot more than I like whatever Smash yeah. Mouth was trying to do. Oh, I'm. And like taking these songs and just kind of putting putting a light like modern electronic spin to it. That's, yeah, that's and all I, just, I really want I out of this. Feel like her vocals just lagged ever so slightly, and that was what mm-hmm. dragged it down for me. And I feel like that's that's a theme you're going to see I on see. all of these is the vocals are never quite there. And I I can't uh, explain because yeah. it's not like you know Donald Fagan's this world class vocalist, but I'm. Um, I think that's where Steely Dan songs can't be replicated. There's something about the way he sings that it can't be replicated by anybody else. There's just a certain bite to the way. Yeah, I he mean, I get that. Pronounces words by the way he, but the way he patterns them, that no one else can quite get. And and I get that. Like you just you're so attached to that the original version, like any deviation from it i don't think it's that though because i love you know there's plenty of covers of other songs that i love that do weird things with Mm -hmm. them but i think it it really is steely dan songs are so custom tailored to the band because they're just so weird they're so musically weird that they just no one else could put them on they just never fit right because it's not just the bands here. It's every other band I've heard trying to cover Steely Dan. Even um, uh, Boz covering Pearl of the Quarter, which is a great cover. There's just something about it. And Boz Gags was a Steely Dan contemporary. But that like he can't even quite get it. I, I don't know. There's something about Steely Dan that is effervescent. <laughs> that just that cannot be... Mm. It can't be reinterpreted. So, and that's disappointing because it'd be great to hear other people's takes on them. And and it's been kind of neat hearing how other people do it. But I just, I don't know. I can hear people cover Elvis Costello songs as long as they're not Mud Honey. Um, I can hear people cover the Doobie Brothers or R.E.M. or all these other bands. I've always said that like David David Bowie's uh, "Heroes" is a song that like anybody can cover, and it will always sound good. Exactly. Until I heard Sammy Hagar do it the other day on the radio. Okay, that like, should to, be illegal. Had to throw that theory out the window because, damn it, Sammy, you just broke everything. Why did you do that? But yeah, that's it. Like there are some songs that lend themselves really well to covers, and there are some that don't. And I think yeah. Steely Dan has, in a way, like that's how they 
That's their like piracy protection. <laughs> that's like no one else is sound good covering this. It's kind of that's kind of genius. Yes, and it's someone they will come close, um, but just not quite there. Right. Um, well, let's move on then to our next song, which is a cover, but not a Steely Dan cover. Which again, baffling. Why? Yeah, it's this odd choice. Uh, this is Hootie and the Blowfish with uh, Can't Find the Time to Tell You. Baby, heard this in the movie i thought it was the counting crows <laughs> and that's like I mean, not a complaint it was just no. i was convinced it was the counting crows and i was like no that's that's darius rucker mm-hmm. yeah like it, it's darius rucker's un, unmistakable but mm-hmm. this doesn't feel like it belongs in this film uh, if anything it kind of sounds like it would belong more in like true stories than yeah. a jim carrey comedy where he shoves a dildo up his butt yeah it just, it's yeah there's a nice richness and it's it's what I like about it is it's not quite the singer songwriter vibe we get with Ellis Paul and Pete Yorn. It's right. still it's kind of bluesy as as we get with Hootie. Mm-hmm. Um but it's it's got a nice kind of southern gentleness. Um it seems like an antidote by comparison to everything else we've heard. And just the ugliness that's sort of present within the film. It's just like this nice, quiet, like, antidote. Yeah, Uh, and and again, this is a a song that's played as road trip music mm -hmm. in the film. Because Hank um, basically insults a busboy named Whitey, who is like an, an albino kid. And somehow they decide to just take him along on their road trip. And it's just a, a sequence of them riding down the road, you know, looking at the sights, playing with Whitey's sun, uh, glasses. And it's, you know, it's pleasant enough. There's a Hootie yeah. song for you. He does have a line, nightgowns with regal lace flowing to the ground around you. Is is he in love with a Victorian ghost? Is that what the song is about? <laughs> I mean, the song is, is by a band called Orpheus, so that's entirely possible. Maybe. <laughs> On to our next song, which, huh. Uh, the Brian Setzer Orchestra is back, everybody. Our friends, the Brian Setzer Orchestra, because it's you... still we're, we're still trying to push the last gasps of the neo swing movement. So they are covering uh, Bodhisattva from Countdown to Ecstasy. Let's go to a clip. Bodhisattva, won't you take me by the hand? This is like the ideal rendition of a Steely Dan song. This is like what comes closest to a perfect and honorable rendition. Mm -hmm. So, one, because Brian Setzer is an amazing guitarist. Because he has to do solos by both Denny Diaz, who's the original guitarist, and Jeff Skunk Baxter. 
of the Doobie Brothers, who's also an incredible guitarist. He's got to do both those solos, and he nails both of them. <laughs> Just fucking slams it. Uh, while also taking... Uh, he doesn't like exactly replicate them, but he's able to riff on them the way a great guitarist is able to riff. And where they sound within the spectrum of the song without going too crazy really add you know a little spice now for as good as the song and this cover is its placement in the film is completely baffling to me yes because it it comes at basically like the emotional climax of the entire film like everything is leading up to this one like standoff sequence between uh irene's ex-boyfriend and charlie hank and the cops and like it's a hostage situation and this song is just <laughs> blasting on the soundtrack it's actually it's played twice i don't get it it is no, played, it's played twice early yeah. in the film when um irene knocks out uh lieutenant gurky and hank beats him up but only the the opening riff so and that is a killer right. riff it is yeah and i, I feel like um pete yorn's like directive was like make the film music sound like this yeah because um, a lot of it really yeah, kind of this does. is Bodhisattva is a great song, and it's one of those, when you see them in concert, like, this gets the crowd going. Um, mm. It's it's always a really fun one to hear live. Mm -hmm. Actually, of these, that might be the only one I've heard. I No, I take that back. I've heard Do It Again once. And then later, when we, uh, we've got another one that I've heard. But the rest of them, I've only, yeah, I've never heard in concert. So they, they picked some kind of funky tr choices as far as they didn't just go with the stuff you hear on the radio so I mean, these right. were definitely picked by someone who loves the dan but but yeah so would you say this one's a keeper this is a keeper actually okay. this is as close as we're gonna get to how you replicate a steely dan song okay okay so way to go brian satzer you can stay you done did it mm -hmm. so, he could stand in when um because their guitarist now is uh, a man named John Harrington, who's been with them since 2000. He played on Two Against Nature. Um, and if John Harrington is, is sick, they can call in Brian Setzer. So All right. we always, we're always happy to have Brian Setzer. So even if his cover of Jingle Bells is weird. <laughs> it's just horrendous. But you know what? <laughs> Brian Setzer's having so much fun, it's kind of hard to hate him. Yeah, stick around, buddy. Yeah. So let's move on, shall we? Number 10. Up next, disappointingly, is the Push Stars covering Bad Sneakers from Katie Lied. It's the only one from Katie Lied on the album. Oh, let's go to a clip. Bad sneakers and a pea colada, my friend. Stopping on the avenue by Radio City with a transistor and a large sum of money to spend. This is another one I could not place in the film. Yeah, I um, apparently it's when Dickie tells Gerky at the country club about Irene. Okay. Supposedly. Okay, yeah. And that's that's another thing. Um, with this one, less so with the other two. The the music is set really far back in the mix. It's they still do that thing where like some of these songs are just playing you know uh, in a, a background scene or on the radio. Yeah. There was a lot more background music rather than the the kind of road trip radio music that we saw in There's Something About Mary and Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. 
so it was set further back it was it was less active i guess in the the film if that makes sense like they weren't listening to it it wasn't playing over a restaurant loudspeaker it's just in the background which i think perhaps speaks to steely dan's reputation as elevator music yep like when i just made fun of wilco yeah so uh there are themes that we're picking up on that i'm sure they had no intention but we're just oh, gonna no. dig like we're just gonna come up with a bunch of crazy red string rabbit holes here yeah, this is basically... Uh, for starters, the best thing about Bad Sneakers is Michael McDonald's vocals. He had joined the band at the time as much as anyone joined Steely Dan. We have to understand about Steely Dan is there are two members of Steely Dan, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. Everyone else is a studio musician. Now it's just Donald Fagan. But um, those are the best parts mm. is Michael McDonald just Michael McDonalding the shit out of it. And to not have that just it it doesn't it, it makes the song sound empty and you know i love the push stars and i have championed the push stars before on this podcast and i'm so disappointed i feel like they broke my heart here like guys how could you fail me like uh, this yeah that's a shame it really is no mm. and it's like they would have been better doing uh razor boy which we're gonna hear later um that would have been a good song for them but this one, you you can't do Bad Sneakers without Michael McDonald, um, which sounds weird to say because I saw Donald Fagan do Bad Sneakers without Michael McDonald. It still wasn't the same. Wow. Yeah, he did it uh, on the Night Flyers tour. Um, I've seen Steely Dan, for those of you who don't know, something I've lost count of how many times I've seen them. It's somewhere between 11 and 20. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I've seen Steely Dan a lot of times. Um. But that concert was one month to the day before Walter Becker died. Oh. Yeah. And it was weird because you just sort of knew. Really? You just, you ha I had a feeling like sitting there. It was the first night of the, of the tour. And I was just like, there's just something not right. And it was because Walter Becker uh, was in late stage uh, esophageal cancer. Ooh. Died a month later. That's terrible. Yeah, it was tough. Um, but on that tour, um, in honor of Walter Becker, he did Book of Liars, his album Eleven Tracks of Whack, which we talked about earlier. Oh, okay, yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? I told you go. I came armed. <laughs> you did. You, I see I knew going into this that you were gonna like school me on Steely Dan. I you you did not disappoint. You're welcome. So um yeah, this one, no. I wish, I'm going to go yeah. back and like, go back to all of the bands except Smash Mouth, of course, and be like, here's the Steely Dan song you should record that would work best to your individual elements. <laughs> go back in time and tell Pete Yorn what, what to yeah, do. exactly. Listen up, Pete Yorn. Can I call you Pete Yarn? Because I'm going to. Listen up, Pete Yarn. I'm from a podcast in the year 2021. What's a podcast? Don't worry about it. You'll find out in about six years. But now we got some news for you. <laughs> You're, you're, you're about to uh, make a soundtrack with using these songs with these bands. But we got to tell you something. You did it wrong. So we're going to have to make you completely change it yeah, up. It's going to be like, have you eradicated disease in the year 2021? It'll be like, uh, no. Everyone is wearing masks and baking bread and lining up to get shots. Not do shots. Get shots. <sighs> and not only that, 
but there were a, there were millions of people who who refused to get the vaccine because whole, get this they think computer chips are small enough to go through the needle mm-hmm. of a vaccine and you just that's no but they believe it because TV tells them it's yeah. true and you know who one of the biggest carriers of like the biggest super spreaders of COVID was get this Pete Yarn Smash Mouth. They're going to hold mm-hmm. a concert that is going to basically wipe out the Midwest. And he'll be like, we'll never put them on an album again. We could have, we could change the course of history, my friends. If we go back in time, tell Pete Yorn not to put Smash Mouth on this soundtrack. But but also, if we tell him that the, the life-saving vaccine was partially funded by Dolly Parton. That's going to blow his fucking mind. It's going to blow his fucking mind. And he might say, well, you know, we were, we were going to have Smash Mouth do do it again. Like, I guess let's call Dolly Parton. Oh, man. Do Dolly Parton could just absolutely knock the shit out of um, uh, Dirty Work. Ooh. Oh, yeah. she would just Ooh, yeah. break your heart with Dirty Work. Oh, man. That, that That's a good pull. That would be really good. Yeah. Mm. Somebody invented a time machine so I can go back and slap Pete Yorn across the face. <laughs> that's That's what we'll do. It's not kill Hitler, which is, again, a noble goal, but... You know, while someone else is killing Hitler, we're going to eradicate Steve Smashmouth. We'll single-handedly stop COVID-19. And along the way, we'll pick up Tom Waits. Exactly. I feel like he would want in on this. Yeah, well, of course. Of course. He would would build the time machine for us, and it would play us a song. (laughs) He would, using, like, amusement park parts. Aren't you glad you tuned into this week's episode? The time machine would be a roller coaster, and you'd have to get it up to 88 miles an hour before you could go back in time. Amazing. (laughs) Oh, we have fun. We have fun to distract (laughs) us from the pain. (laughs) There is a cover of Reeling in the Years by Marvelous 3. However, this cover has apparently been eradicated from the Earth. Time travel is real, and I know because we accidentally eradicated the wrong song. <laughs> Which is too bad. It's probably amazing. Yeah, it's probably pretty good. So The world may never know. Alas, you'll have to go buy a copy of the Me, Myself, and Irene soundtrack at Half Price Books. Yeah, if... yeah no. No, that ain't I, happening. I will say this. I was at a thrift store yesterday, and they had a whole bunch of DVDs, and I looked for this because their DVDs were $1.99, and it was going to be $3.99 to rent it. And... Also, now Amazon judges me all the time. It's like, if you like this, you might like Fart Island starring Carrot Top. <laughs> Maybe. Like, you probably, you, you're not wrong in your algorithm, but I do not want to watch Fart Island starring Carrot Top. <laughs> and if I did, I'd watch it on Tubi. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the Criterion Collection to put out like a, a 30 disc set of the whole Fart Island series. <laughs> Tubi only has Fart Island 4, which is not the best Fart Island. <laughs> so, yeah, skipping over, I guess, reeling in the years, we're going to go straight to number 13, which is uh, Strange Condition by Pete Yorn. Our friend Pete Yorn, who needs to be slapped. one of those ones though i have to say the more i listened to it the more i really liked it 
it's all right, but it, it still has that weird that weird uh, Wilco feel to it to me. No, see, I kind of likened it more to uh, Ellis Paul. Like there was a, that really I, warm singer songwriter vibe. Like this just seemed like music that the kind of boy I would have had a crush on in 2000 would have listened to and he would have worn Gap sweaters and been really soft. This song just made me feel like I was waiting in line at the post office. <laughs> Where's your sense of romance, man? I killed it years ago. <laughs> Fight me. You were not a soft 2000s boy. <laughs> no, I was not. I was not then and I am not now. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. You will be in 15 years. You're going to get really nostalgic and you're going to end up being like for a week. <laughs> a you're soft 2000s a- dad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I could see that. It'll happen. Yeah, it's okay. No, I really like it. It makes me want to go listen to more Pete Yorn. That's fair. As far as I'm aware, this song plays as Hank and Charlie have escaped the cops near the end of the film, and they're driving a stolen car while Irene is like on a train somewhere. And the song is playing, and then while Hank's driving the car, he starts whistling the song, hmm. which is a very strange touch. And there's like a theory on IMDb of all places that says like, Hank is the side of Charlie that is actually aware of the fact that he's in a movie, which sounds like some real nerd bullshit, and I don't agree with it, but I don't know. So, I mean, that's the Truman Show, essentially. Now we're yeah. just, like, crossing universes here. The Carryverse is all around us. Oh, this is giving me a headache. Just the thought of it is, like, making my head split. We're almost done. We're <laughs> almost done. <laughs> Strange condition. Yeah, it's fine. Libby likes it. That's okay. I like it, because... I'm a soft, sensitive, early 2000s girl. Early 2000s Libby was such a romantic. Anywho. Hey, how about another uh, Steely Dan cover? Let's do it. Here's uh, Ben Folds with Barrytown. Or the Ben Folds 5 with Barrytown. This one is on Pretzel Logic. Oh, okay. And there's a very elaborate orchestration on this one. And more than anybody else, Ben Folds gets the closest to nailing the vocals, um, but kind of lags on the music. Like it's a very distant and very orchestral cover. Yeah, like I couldn't tell you a thing about this one except just that I do like it. I, yep. I enjoy the orchestration, especially near the end where there's like that weird vocoder effect. That's mm-hmm. it. I just something about that really appeals to me. I don't know. And Ben Folds is like another person like Brian Setzer who Steely Dan makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. in his wheelhouse. I'm I'm perfectly content with this cover. It's not my favorite, but. It it works. It's solid and it's not embarrassing. Yeah, this is this is one that I would I would keep. This is a keeper yeah. for me. This is it works. Um so unfortunately the next one, Billy Goodrum's Razor Boy, does not. Oh yeah, let's go to that one. You know that the coming is so close at hand. You feel alright 
That one, uh, Razor Boy, is also off Countdown to Ecstasy. And this is Steely Dan for people who don't want anything to do with Steely Dan. And it is a monotone insult. I wrote a very similar note. To my super untrained ears, this one sounds the most like a Steely Dan song of everything else in this album. Almost to the point where I have to ask, what was the point? Yeah, and unfortunately, that that's a fair criticism. And people who don't like Steely Dan, that's just, that's like, that's exactly what I said. It's Steely Dan for people who don't want anything to do with Steely Dan. It's just kind of like, lame. Yeah. And like, I'm not, I'm not saying that as a criticism of Steely Dan. I'm just saying like, it's, I don't know a lot of Steely Dan songs. So yeah, when I hear this, I'm like, yeah, I guess this sounds like Steely Dan. And Razor Boy isn't one of my favorite Steely Dan songs because I think it's a little mundane. Mm-hmm. And this song just like drags it down further. I mean, there are no bad Steely Dan songs. They really range from, God, what is, I would say the Boston Rag. Okay. To Kid Charlemagne. Like, Kid Charlemagne is the greatest song that's ever been written. It's the greatest song in American history. It's incredible. Um, But Razor Boy is down there. Honestly, there's a lot of stuff off Countdown to Ecstasy that I don't love. Countdown to Ecstasy ranks pretty low on my Steely Dan, like album listening. So like, I I'll, I can't I can't defend Razor Boy. But yeah, like I'll I'll defer to you because like if you put a gun to my head and told me to to name the best song in American history, I don't think I could even say an answer. Okay, I well don't... now I'm telling you, it's okay. Kid Charlemagne. That's fair. Off the Royal Scam. So this one like makes me very angry. Uh, this one plays in the movie in the scene where Charlie meets Whitey. Now, Hank had already met Whitey and invited him on their road trip. But then once he's come out of that like dissociative state and turned back into Charlie, Charlie's just like, who the fuck is this white kid sitting in the back of our car? <laughs> and they have to have th- that conversation like, oh, you're you're a weirdo with split personality. Yeah. Oh, you're a weirdo with like albinism. OK, I guess it's such a nothing scene. Yeah, The whole movie is nothing. The whole movie is just insults. 90% of this movie is nothing insults. Yeah. yeah, it's insults and then occasional, like, ham-fisted, like, crying from yeah. Jim Carrey. It's, like, do you want an Oscar or an MTV Movie Award? You can only have one. Take your pick. I feel bad because I'm sure, like, this, like we've said before, Jim Carrey is probably a perfectly nice person. Or maybe not. And like, he- maybe he's the biggest asshole in the world and I don't feel bad about making fun of him. But also, like, he's been in like, great movie. He does good work sometimes. Uh, it's just then he does shit like See, this. really? I can think of one. Two. Okay, I can think of two great movies he's in. Okay, name them. Man on the Moon and okay, Earth Girls yep. Are Easy. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I'm going to say The Truman Show is good, but, like, it's just because it's not dumb Jim Carrey comedy movie. Uh, but what's, like, what's... The, I don't know. The Truman Show is like it was good. Like I, but I never have to watch it again. I I am not gonna like stand here and fight someone over the Truman yeah. Show. The Truman Show is the film version of Strange Condition by Pete Yorn. <laughs> okay, it's a movie for That's sensitive fair. soft boys. Oh man, shit! I am a sensitive soft boy. Damn it! Deep down, you're all you are a an elder millennial, and you are all deep down sensitive soft boys. 
which is great. That's a good way to be. Uh, okay, fine. But I'm not going to like it. Yeah, give in. <laughs> we're almost done. We have one more song we're, left. We're, we are forestalling the inevitable. Like, do we want to keep going or do we want to just end this nonsense? Well, okay. So our last song is Where Can He Hide by Tom Wolfe. I couldn't tell you anything about it. I've already forgotten it. And he puts all the answers in the world down the hall where he can hide from himself where he can hide where he can hide from her so as far as i know this does not appear in the film and tom wolf is the guy who basically did all the um I guess the soundtrack arrangements like he he's the music supervisor. I, I feel like he's the one who's responsible for all of the Steely Dan covers in this album. OK, well, we're going to find him and we're going to talk to him on our on our on our magical quest. Pete Yorn is going to direct us to Tom. OK, Wolf. that's fair. But yeah, like, I, I don't think I could tell you a single thing about this one. either. It's, it's just more night. It's more 2000s. Just guitar boy energy. Yeah. So um, now there are two other Steely Dan songs in the film. When Hank and Irene dispose of the car in the lake, uh, you hear Freddie Johnson doing Monkey in Your Soul, also off Pretzel Logic. And you hear uh, Leon Redbone covering Chain Lightning, which is off of Katie Lied, when Whitey uh, goes to the gun store and purchases guns and ammo. The Chain Lightning song is it's kind of a cool cover because it's a very blues cover and it's really Mm -hmm. raspy and it does something different without being insane so i i kind of wish and again if your album is going to be steely dan covers why leave those two off yeah i I, just take out the foo fighters song for fuck's sake or take out take out tom wolf I know that he's the music supervisor, but you don't get to do everything. Yeah. Here's what I've been building to, essentially. Okay. With the exception of Reeling in the Years, which isn't in the film, Monkey in Your Soul, and Chain Lightning, neither of which are on the soundtrack, the only songs that appear in the film and are on the soundtrack are A-side tracks. Every single one of them appears on the A-side of the album on which they appear. I don't know what this means, but it seems like a weird coincidence. That is very odd. And huh. they never go beyond Katie Lied. They don't, they leave, there's nothing from the royal scam, which is where Haitian divorce appears. There's nothing from Asia, and there's nothing from Gaucho. And that just seems like just sort of odd. That is, that is strange. Especially because Asia and Gaucho are, those Asia is, for starters, it's a perfect album. There's not a bad track on that album. But Asia was a huge, huge, huge album. Um, so that, to, to leave those two off, again, why not cover the whole swath? Commit to the bit, man. Yeah, that's... Uh... It's one, another one of those cases where, you know, they use so much music, they either, either they don't have the rights to put on a soundtrack or the money to put on a soundtrack. or But then again, like with a, a directive like Steely Dan covers in the film, 
why not? Yeah. Were the other songs on the soundtrack that important? Yeah, exactly. Like, could you could you not fit two or three more songs on the disc? What yeah. were you, what were you in danger of losing? Yeah, what was the plan here? Did you it's really baffling. need Hootie and the Blowfish? Um, and yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure what yeah. what the whole idea was, but it it ended up failing miserably because the album doesn't have the the breath that it could have if this is supposed to be hey we're all as a nation getting back into steely dan here are artists covering you know contemporary artists covering steely dan then why not go the whole why not go all the way why not cover i've got the news or glamour profession or babylon sisters or again, Haitian divorce, Kid Charlemagne. Everything you did, everything you did would have been like I think Third Eye Blind could have had some fun with something like Everything You Did. Um, especially because Everything You Did kind of comes with the goes with the film's themes of adultery. And especially with, with the fact that like a lot of these covers, you know, they brought the bands into the studio to record these specifically for the album. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they couldn't have gotten. Uh, Third Eye Blind, or or, or even um, Hootie and the Blowfish. They got Hootie to record that cover of an Orpheus song. That's not even a Steely Dan song. Yeah. Everything about this film and the soundtrack is a baffling decision. And it's puzzling evidence, if you will. Ha! <laughs> nice. That's called I a callback. So, it sucks. It sucks. We're sorry to have to do this to you people. We love you. Thank you for, for listening along with us. We are sorry we put you through this. Not as sorry as though as we put ourselves to this. You can turn this off. We can't. Yeah, exactly. We, yeah, we have to yeah. We have to soldier on. And in, is there anything else you want to say about me, myself, and Irene? I think just to tag, at, uh, tag along with what you just said, the fact that the whole film ends with the offspring covering AFI is like completely antithetical to the whole point of the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, Smash Mouth doing uh, Do It Again. Okay, I get it. I see what you're doing there offspring covering like a horrorcore goth band in on a soundtrack full of steely dan covers like either somebody thought it was a joke or somebody just thought it was a good idea either way you were wrong you were so wrong it's a good song but it does not belong here at all no was it there batman and robin couldn't you have put it in that yes exactly it would have been great i hate that batman and robin is being reclaimed as a as a camp classic i'm like don't do this no, it yeah. It's, we don't have to. We don't have to embrace everything. You can just embrace a movie as being bad and enjoy it for being bad. You don't have to say actually it's good. That's that's okay too. We don't have to be nostalgic about everything. It's okay to enjoy bad movies. You know, just be honest with yourself. I thought I might watch this movie and like have some kind of nostalgia for like the year two thousand and the time that I my dad took me to see this movie. No, I didn't. For two hours, I sat and didn't laugh at anything that happened in this movie. Yeah, I did not laugh once. And Ian, who had never seen it, decided to suffer with me, and I think is mad. Mad, mad that you wasted two two hours of his life. Yeah, we could have been watching anything on Tubi. It's two hours of Tubi you'll never get back. I know. Yeah, that's me, myself, and Irene, everybody. It's a, a bizarre little um, footnote from the year 2000. I think we were more interested in the soundtrack as an artifact than anything else. And I'm going to defer to Libby for the final verdict on this album. It sucks and it's terrible. Don't listen to it. 
Maybe listen to Brian Setzer doing Bodhisattva, but why not just listen to Steely Dan doing Bodhisattva? It's on Countdown to Ecstasy. Go listen to it. It's amazing. It opens the album. I can't argue with any of that. I really can't. Or hear him do it live. That fucking rules. Or better yet, listen to the live version with Jerome Anton opening because he gives this like completely like drunk ramble opening. It's amazing. It's notorious. It's the uh, it's the B side of Kid Charlemagne. Nice. We'll link it in the show notes. There you have it. Hmm. So, what are we doing next time? We promise you something good. Next week we are doing another one of our on the fives episodes. We will be covering uh, our top ten Disney songs. Yes, Disney Plus is the hot new thing since last year. <laughs> We are just itching for someone to sue the pants off this podcast. Do it. <laughs> I dare you. <laughs> Come at me. I have nothing. This is going to be rough. <laughs> no, this is. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this one. Because even even the coldest of hearts loves at least one Disney song. Yeah, and we just got some great. You know, we're we're going to talk about the golden age of Disney with Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. I think we're going to mm-hmm. get some. You know, some kind of surprises coming out talk oh, about yeah. disney sing-along oh, yeah. songs did you have those tapes oh hell yeah. yeah heck yeah i did so it's we're gonna have a good time it's gonna be fun i can't wait yes so so uh yeah libby where can our listeners find you on the internet you can find me on uh twitter at libby cudmore you can find me on instagram at record underscore saturday you can uh, listen to me over at the shattered shield podcast Uh, We have wrapped up season six and we're actually doing a kind of a cool new thing. Drew and I are going to be uh, going back through some episodes before I joined the show. So I'm going to get to give my opinion on some stuff from seasons one and two. So you'll have to join me over there. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Joe, where can they find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Cordial Wombat. And you can listen to me yell about Christmas movies on the Christmas Creeps podcast at Christmas Creeps. Uh, as of this recording, we just released our first new official episode in like three months. Oh, good. Yeah, good stuff all around. Um, but if you want to talk to us, you can find us on the OST party on Twitter or email us anything you want from uh, questions to comments to soundtracks you think we should cover at OSTPartyPod at gmail.com. So for the OST party, I'm Joseph Wade. And I'm Libby Cudmore. Buy the ticket. Take the ride. No hesitation. No tears and no hide.